Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com The latest from 7 News with Michael Usher. Good evening and welcome. Tonight's state of emergency just declared in Ukraine. Our team is live and the Australian photographer caught up in capturing the conflict. The remarkable young Australian woman taking on the government and the maker of her life-saving medication that's sending her family broke. Former fugitive Graham Potter facing court in Melbourne tonight, 12 years since his escape and the appalling temper tantrum that's cost a tennis champion his spot in a tournament. But breaking news first, in the last hour we've learned Ukraine will declare a nationwide state of emergency. Economic sanctions from around the world have so far failed to convince Vladimir Putin to de-escalate Russia's aggressive behaviour. Let's go to our reporter Jeff Parry, who's in Lviv, Ukraine tonight. Jeff, hello from here. So reports of a a full-scale invasion in the coming hours. What's the latest that you're hearing from the border areas? I know there have been reports of that, uh, Michael, and we're trying to confirm it with contacts that we have down in those disputed areas. Um, as you said, the Russian parliament, the, sorry, the Ukrainian parliament has been meeting uh, today. Uh, the purpose of that is to um, rubber stamp or authorise that uh, extra secu- that uh, state of emergency, um, and that would give them power over the whole country to impose a state of emergency. It would mean that the government of uh, President Zelensky could. Um, close down towns, close down roads, so the public is, is, uh, could be uh, controlled, they're not allowed to uh, film military movements or publish them online, there's quite a number of heavy restrictions applied to it. Um, also in that theme of things moving a bit rapidly, we've seen a little bit of footage of some tanks, there's said to be Russian tanks down in the Mariupol area, um, that should pop up soon, but uh, it, the, the uh, Mariupol is, uh, is in that disputed area, but it's said to be a, a largely sort of Ukraine yeah. supporting uh, town. Um, so uh, things are moving at a pace now and clearly those sanctions haven't worked and that uh, Vladimir Putin is now being said uh, could move within, the, within a couple of hours. Well, on those sanctions, Jeff, I mean, they're targeting the country's, uh, uh, Russia's energy and financial sectors as well as some pretty wealthy high-profile figures. Any response from the Kremlin to all of that yet? Um, well, only verbally. They've said that they'll just jack the price up or they could jack the price up of gas that they supply into Europe because their pipeline has basically been put on ice um, or they could just double the price up to 2,000 uh, euro. Um, it has a couple of levers that it can pull but, uh, but hasn't at the moment. But largely they say, look, these, the, these, um, they're going to hurt not just us but the general population. Um, so, you know, uh, and, and it's also been said that... Uh, Putin's been working over the last several years to um, to uh, pr- um, sort of proof his country against those sanctions, sanction-proof his his country. Um, he, he gave another speech today. Seems like a daily event, Michael. He said uh, um, Russians, uh, Russia's security is just uh, non-negotiable. Yeah. All right. We'll see what he says in the coming hours. Then Jeff Parry there in Lviv in Ukraine. Thank you for that. Australian photojournalist and filmmaker Bryce Wilson is on the front line in far east Ukraine documenting the alarming progress of that invasion. As you can see here, uh, a mortar has come through the wall of a kindergarten 
Um, it occurred around 9am. Uh, one round has come through the wall here. Another one flew over the building and landed in the playground at the rear of the kindergarten. Bryce joins me now. Bryce, thanks for your, thanks for your time. What, what is happening on the streets there right now? Okay, so where I am, this uh, apartment building behind me, I'm not sure if you'll be able to see it in the video, but yesterday uh, and this morning too, there's been incredibly heavy shelling in this area. Uh, there's been a lot of damage to the windows here, as well as just down the street, the local energy plant. So they haven't had uh, water for three days, and as a result of the damage to the uh, plant at the end of the street, uh, heating here has been knocked out too. So uh we've been interviewing people on the street here and they've been telling us that the shelling has increased in uh strength and i guess also frequency for the last few days i'm going to cross over to the street and actually show you up close the damage as you're doing that just give me a sense of the mood of people there too uh people are very tired after eight years of war here and i think they're very uh, frightened about the idea that uh, a new war could be coming here a renewed invasion so uh I'm going to flip my camera around. Uh, you can see here recent damage to the windows as well as these ones up here. A lot of shrapnel damage, uh, recently broken glass. And uh, this is actually the pipes for the area. So usually when these get damaged, it results in significant infrastructure damage too. Um, very fresh marks from shrapnel here. Uh, as you can see, too, people are just living life uh, normally uh, after eight years here. Uh, this is just sort of a part of daily life, yeah. sadly. What's the preparation like there? I understand you've been looking at bomb shelters there. Are the people there prepared for uh, an incursion, an invasion? I don't think the people here are ready. And in my opinion, I don't believe that people are ready for the type of combat that will come to these cities uh, if there is a renewed Russian invasion. Uh, we visited bomb shelters. Civilians in the areas did not even realise they were locked. Uh, they weren't aware of where to get keys to access them. They actually thanked me and two of my colleagues because they said uh, without us bringing it to their attention, they, they would not have known about this. Uh, a hospital in this area did not have enough... Uh, they were telling us they didn't have enough medical supplies. They didn't have enough staff. They don't have enough time to prepare. They don't have enough room uh, to store patients safely in the basement, even in the event that there are shelling attacks. So... Mm. From what I'm seeing on the ground, uh, it's a really critical situation and people don't seem prepared. Although when we interview people, they also don't seem worried. Some people say it's impossible that this invasion will happen. And Bryce, just, just in terms of their leanings there, are, are they pro-Russian or pro-Ukraine? Are they proudly independent Ukrainian or some of those border areas sometimes have, have different affiliations? What is the feeling in that area and that sentiment? Well, I interviewed one man earlier and he told me that Ukraine is his country and he loves this country, but in his mind, he thinks like a Russian. Those were yeah. his exact words. Uh, yeah. I've interviewed many other people who tell me that even live uh, in the areas that are shelled every day, that uh, they hate what the Russian military has done to them. They hate what these uh, so-called separatist republics have done to this part of Ukraine. I actually just realised there's a, a crater here earlier we heard uh shelling in the distance and uh, as i was saying the energy plant near here was struck by a rocket barrage so th like th the situation here is changing very quickly and uh, we've come here to interview civilians and find out what has happened 
All right. Well, look, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us there, Bryce, and uh, keep your head down as best you can in that dangerous area. Bryce Wilson, thank you. Appreciate the US President Joe Biden has ordered troops and attack aircraft further into Eastern Europe to reassure NATO allies, but says there are no plans yet for military action in Ukraine. NBC correspondent Brie Jackson joins us from Washington DC now. Brie, good evening from here. Well, now that sanctions are in place, does the White House see any diplomatic way back from this, do you think? Well, good morning, Michael. What we're new this morning, what we're hearing is that Ukraine has introduced a state of emergency, emergency today and is urging Ukrainian citizens to leave Russia. Now, all of this comes after the United States and its allies ramped up pressure on Russia with uh, sanctions. Uh, President Biden strongly condemned Russia, saying the invasion of Ukraine is a flagrant violation of international law and warrants a firm response. President Biden also touted Germany's announcement that it's hitting the brakes on Russia's massive gas pipeline. President Biden then laid out sanctions that the U.S. will be imposing against Russia, uh, and that includes sanctions against Russian banks, Russian elites, and finances, in addition to sending U.S troops that are already stationed in Europe uh, to Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania. Any indication what the next step from the White House might be if a full-scale invasion does occur as predicted? Oh, so, uh, yeah. Well, Michael, what the president has been saying and really doubled down on in the last couple of days is that there is no intention to send troops, U.S. troops, into Ukraine. President Biden emphasized that, that the troops that he is sending to those neighboring areas are there to support NATO allies. But the president said there is no intention to fight Russia. All right. Bree Jackson there in Washington, D.C. Thank you. I want to bring in our political reporter, Taylor Aitken, now. Taylor, good evening to you. In the past few hours, the uh, Prime Minister's phoned his Ukrainian counterpart. What came of that call? Michael, Scott Morrison sought to reaffirm Australia's commitment to the Ukraine's sovereignty while denouncing Russia's aggressive behaviour, saying sanctions will be immediate. Those sanctions impacting eight key individuals of the Russian Security Council, essentially the governing elite, banks and critical industries, imposing a sharp, sharp economic cost, accusing Moscow of acting like bullies and thugs. No troops will be sent to the Ukraine just yet, in line with sanctions imposed by the US and the UK. But some security experts have suggested these sanctions are too soft, but others say that's by design, with the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, adding this is just the first step and unless Russia backs down, further and tougher sanctions will be applied. But despite Australia's sanctions being in line with that of our allies, they don't come without risks. The government has already warned Russia may retaliate by launching cyber attacks against Australia's own critical infrastructure. The conflict could also drive up global oil prices, leading to more pain at the petrol pump. This afternoon, the Russian ambassador to Australia was hauled into a meeting with the Secretary of the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. He won't be expelled from Australia just yet, but Foreign Minister Maurice Payne says that option remains very much on the table. Michael. All right, Taylor Aker there in uh, Canberra. Thank you. Vladimir Sholkivsky is the head of the Ukraine embassy in Canberra and he joins me now. Mr Sholkivsky, thanks for your time tonight. What do you make of the sanctions being applied by Australia and do you think they go far enough? We are grateful for the uh, decision of Australian government to 
uh, add new uh, sanctions uh, package. Uh, we uh, believe that uh, there is a need for expansion of those sanctions because the uh, threat of uh, full-scale invasion is very real. We need to uh, uh, maximize pressure on Russia as much as, we, as, as it possible. What fear do you have from your country? It must be difficult for you sitting all this distance away watching on. Uh, that's true. Of course, it's challenging. Um, you start uh, your morning uh, from uh, checking the uh, news and from messages from uh, your family members. Situation is uh, clearly uh, deteriorating uh, in many uh, fields, but. Uh, uh, we are uh, really um, uh, thankful to all international community uh, members uh, who support us. One of the excuses that Vladimir Putin is using is that Ukraine potentially joining NATO. If that was off the table, do you think it would de-escalate the situation? It doesn't. The uh, recent statement of uh, Mr Putin, um, he questions the very existence, the right of uh, existence of independent Ukraine. Uh, simply because uh, he is uh, sick with the idea of restoring former Soviet mm. Union, uh, which uh, Ukraine, of course, is an important part for him. Well, let's hope that it does de-escalate in some form. It'll be good to talk to you again as this uh, crisis continues. Vladimir Sholkivsky, thank you for your time tonight. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, let's take you to Windsor Castle now. Our Europe Bureau Chief Hugh Whitfield's live there for us. Hugh, hello. Now, the Queen's due to have a phone call with Boris Johnson in the coming hours. Has the palace shed any light if that's going ahead uh, while the monarch is sick with COVID? Evening, Michael. Not uh, really clear at this stage. We haven't had a, an immediate update from the palace, but we do know, of course, that uh, Her Majesty had to pull out of some virtual engagements yesterday here, where she would have been taking part in some Zoom calls, video calls, likely with visitors to Buckingham Palace. These audiences with Prime Ministers here in Britain are famous. They are traditional. They are meant to happen every week. And during the course of the pandemic, it's often been a phone call, but in recent weeks, Boris Johnson has been calling on uh, Her Majesty in person. Now, of course, that the Queen is suffering from COVID, we expect it to be a phone call. I'm very sure that uh, the Queen will be keen to hear about what is happening in Ukraine and the government's response. So uh, we do expect it to happen and hopefully we'll find out that it does happen because I think if it doesn't go ahead, that will uh, cause some concern. And a whole lot more speculation, no doubt about that. Hugh, uh, separately, the Duchess of Cambridge uh, right now in Denmark. Yeah, Kate is on this two-day tour of Denmark and she's having lunch right now with a very familiar face, Crown Princess Mary, of course, Tasmanian-born and Australian. Uh, she, uh, they are together having lunch at Emilienborg Palace after walking across the square at the palace there in Copenhagen. Kate uh, calling on 
Queen Margareta as well. It's a jubilee year in Denmark as well as here in Britain. Of course, 70 years, the platinum jubilee for Queen Elizabeth and 50 years, a golden jubilee, 50 years on the throne for Queen Margareta in Denmark. Kate, on this two-day tour, her first solo tour in many years, in fact, overseas, uh, promoting mainly early childhood education and development. It's a key campaign for her now uh, for quite some time. So good to see Kate and Mary together. They've met before. Hopefully uh, they're getting along like like old friends, Michael. I'm sure they are. All right, Hugh Whitfield there outside Windsor Castle. Thank you for that. In the past few hours, former fugitive Graham Potter has faced court in Melbourne back in Victoria tonight after 12 years on the run. Let's go live to our reporter, Rochelle Brown now. Rochelle, what's happened at this evening's hearing? Hi, Michael. Tonight's hearing was very brief. Potter kept his arms crossed and he stayed quiet the entire time. Now, he didn't apply for bail, but his lawyer did indicate that he'd like for him to be placed in some sort of protective custody. So that we, we know there's a few issues regarding his safety there. Now, Potter actually indicated the same thing as he um, saw reporters while he was boarding the flight to Melbourne earlier today. He said to them when they, when they asked him why he'd been on the run for 12 years that he he was afraid of being killed. So hopefully we'll hear more about that as this court case unravels. Now, we also spoke with him on the flight. He mentioned to our reporter there that he will eventually tell all about where he's been over the past decade and what's happened to him. Uh, he also made this brief revelation regarding his mother. I found out she was alive about two hours ago. I was under the belief that both my father and mother had passed away. Potter will be back in court in May where he'll be facing charges over drug trafficking and conspiracy to murder. Hopefully that's when we'll hear more about this mysterious case as it unravels. Michael? It's an extraordinary case and quite a tale. All right, Rochelle Brown there in Melbourne. Thank you for that. A deadly development tonight from a torrential downpour in Queensland's southeast. A woman's body found in a submerged car. Let's go to our reporter, Ned Balm, in Brisbane. Ned, good evening to you. This was a major rain event that really swept through. Yeah, Michael, it sure did. We were warned the rain was coming, but few could have predicted just how ferocious the downpour was. Now, it mostly affected areas of the Sunshine Coast. Some of the areas claimed more than uh, 300 millimetres overnight. That's more than some places get in a month, the most of which was on Mount Wolvi, which gained 425 millimetres. Now, rescue crews, they were very, very busy overnight. Uh, around 30 Swiftwater rescue missions were undertaken. Unfortunately, not everyone could be saved. As you mentioned, a 63-year-old woman was found dead in her car after it was swept away in floodwaters. And there is an ongoing rescue operation for a 54-year-old man, a motorcyclist who was separated from his bike while driving through the downpour. Um, in addition to that, the, uh, we also saw a vision of a train that was derailed, the conditions derailing a train near Gympie. So now, in addition to that, we are what we're essentially what we're looking at now is that heavy rain. We saw it batter the Gold Coast uh, today as well, but it wasn't nearly as destructive. And that rain, it actually didn't make its way to Brisbane. We thought it would, but it didn't. But that could definitely change overnight. We're expecting it to hit at some stage. We should have strong winds bring that system in. Mm -hmm. And we're expecting between 100 and 300 millimetres in, in certain pockets of the southeast to hit overnight. So at the moment, we're still in high alert yeah. because the big wet is certainly set to continue. Not over yet. All right, Ned Balm there in Brizzy. Thank you for that.
One of our biggest building firms has gone into administration tonight, leaving work sites across the country locked up. Tradesmen stopped construction after being told ProBuild had collapsed, the company racking up apparently significant unpaid debts to subcontractors. Unclear what all that means for workers moving forward, ProBuild set to make an announcement about its future in the morning. Well, police are tonight hoping a half-million-dollar reward will solve the mystery of what happened to backpacker Theo Hayes. The 18-year-old disappeared after leaving a Byron Bay bar in 2019. And our reporter Tom Saker joins us live from the police headquarters in Sydney with more. Uh, Tom, good evening to you. So we're hearing there's been a significant breakthrough in the investigation. What's that? Yeah, that's right, Michael. It's believed that Tio Hayes was messaging some mystery person on WhatsApp around the time that he disappeared. He was last seen leaving the Cheeky Monkeys nightclub in Byron Bay on May 31, 2019. And his disappearance has bugged both police and obviously his family for almost three years. Um, he was last seen walking away from his hostel and to the cliffs at Cape Byron. One of police's working theories was that he fell from those cliffs and was washed out to sea. But his parents believe that something far more sinister is at play and that his death certainly was suspicious. They hired a private investigator who had this to say. I believe that he has become a victim of some sort of foul play and there are allegations that he was buried. We are investigating those allegations to see whether any of it's true. So, Tom, an inquest into his disappearance also wraps up this week and today we learned of some uh, mistakes in the initial police response. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so today in the inquest, uh, Senior Constable Louis Papworth uh, was heard and he conceded that he was very inexperienced at the time. Uh, he led the search and it only led to minor searches previously. He also conceded that he made some mistakes and would have done things differently in hindsight, including using GPS data instead of paper maps, giving photos to his fellow searchers during the actual search of T.O. Hayes and uh, also calling on the police uh, helicopter from Queensland who could have helped out with thermal imaging, which he didn't. Uh, either way, it is hoped that that half-million-dollar reward will jog someone's memory and lead to some closure for this family uh, who have been doing it very tough over these past few years, Michael. Indeed. All right, Tom Saker there in Sydney. Thank you for that. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I get to have my family. I get to have kids and it's allowing me to do that. That's Jessica Ragusa on how a life-changing drug has given her a second chance. She's one of thousands of Australians living with cystic fibrosis and they say time is running out. Their plea to get the highly expensive drug Trikafta finally listed on the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme. It's been approved by an expert panel but campaigners say the federal government is dragging its heels. And Jessica joins me in the studio tonight, along with her mum, Kelly McNamara. Thank you both for being here so much. Thank you. Jessica, tell me this. What was the prognosis for you before this drug came along? Oh, so I was diagnosed at birth, so that was always there. But 
when I was 18, I was very sick, like very unwell. And we fought very hard to be okay, but it was never great. Like I never got back to being well. So it was a fight every day. And that's what we had to do. Yeah. What does this drug do? The way I have been taught is that it modifies the genes. So the two genes that I have that cause my CF are faulty. This fixes it. So the faults cause all of the problems, the, the mucus, the pancreatics, the impacts on the liver, kidneys, whatever it does. Because it works, I have normal genes. So I lose all of the, the troubles. So it's making me human. Like I have normal genes and they're not faulty and they're not broken and they're doing what they're supposed so to do. So for you, it is a miracle drug. Oh, uh, the miracle doesn't even cover it. Like yeah. it's changing everything. What would be your lifespan without that drug? I think, uh, I don't want to look at the number. I don't know exactly. I wouldn't ask, but it's not, it's not even the age. It's the life quality that I have to get there. You know, if I live to 50, sure. But if I'm in hospital five times a year, what's the point? Yeah. It's a fight. And, you know, if they gave me to 30, that's probably really good. But if it's terrible to get there, I don't want that either. Mum, I'll bring you in now. Help me with the cost. What, what does this cost, this drug? Currently, it's $21,375 a month, which that... works out to be, I think we worked it out, $275 a tablet, and she has three a day. So that one box sitting in front of us here is $21,000? Yes. Who's paying for that? Um, currently, we've, my husband and I have remortgaged our home, um, and we're obviously using that money to fund this for nine months. We've only got nine months and we're up to five yep. already, so we've got four months left. So time and money is running out. Absolutely. What, what the, the emotional cost of all of this, Kelly, must be extraordinary. It's horrific. The cost is just, yeah, I'm actually putting a cost on my daughter's life. It's changed her life and to think that if we run out of money, she won't be able to have that. She will return back to her very unwell self. Jess, you've obviously got a great family around you, but the bittersweet moment of all of this is that's changing your life, but it is completely draining. I was so hesitant to start it. I didn't want, I didn't want it. I didn't want to have it because I knew the impact that it was going to have on us. And, you know, that family home, we've lived in it for, what, 15 years? We can't lose it over this. Like, that's ludicrous. It goes, why? There's someone who claims that we have the best healthcare in the world. It's failing. It's not helping us. So the experts have said this should be in use, but it hasn't been put on the PPS, the scheme yet, or hasn't been approved by the government. So they've said, yes, it's going to happen. We just don't know when. And we don't know how many it's going to cater for, and we don't know the cost. So the, the negotiations is where we're at at the moment. So Vertex is a private pharmaceutical company, which is where we've hit the barrier, you know, the barrier, because they don't have to accept the recommendations. That's where the problem is. So both parties aren't coming to the table. But that key question of when is crucial for you. This is your, this is your life, your quality of life, yep. your money, which is fast running out, only a few months to go. Is it likely that you'll get to the stage where you, you can't afford the medication? We're hoping that that certainly doesn't get to that and um, that's why we're pushing and, and obviously there's a petition now that we're hoping that we get 35,000 signatures so it gets tabled at Parliament for a further discussion. Um, but yes, I, I'm not really thinking about that yet. That's just too scary to think of. 
Jess, your, your future lies in that box. <laughs> your entire health, your future, your family life ahead of you, everything. And that's the hard thing. I didn't want it because if it didn't happen, I know what it's like. I have hope. And if it gets taken away, that's going to be much harder than ever having it to start. I, I just can't fathom what it would be like to be without it. They told me it would start to deteriorate. I would go back to how I was. And I know what it's like to breathe. I don't know how to go back to how I was. It's probably a grim, grim statistic to know how many people die of CF. Mm. And, you know, if it comes on tomorrow, we might save lives. But if it comes after the election, I wouldn't want to think how many people die. So to the drug company and to the health minister, to the government, what do you say? What do you appeal? <laughs> All I can say is please. Like, your hand, like, my life is in your hands and you'll put a value on mine. Like, I don't know what you would pay for your life, mm. but ours is costing us. It's already 100000 and it's been five months. Like, just please find a way to get it on and help me, but everyone else. Well, let's help you get a bit of a voice and see if we can get the right people to make <laughs> the right decisions because Absolutely. this will change your life forever. Oh, I... I don't think you will understand the impact that it's had on my life and I know the impact that it's going to have on other patients. And that's the thing, because they don't live it, they don't breathe at the capacity that I breathe, but because they're well, I'm not. Mm. But that's not fair. All right, let's hope they'll listen. Absolutely. All right, really lovely to talk to both of you thank as well. You. Jess, Kelly, thank you for that. Thank, thank you. you. The federal government told us negotiations are ongoing and it's up to the pharmaceutical company Vertex to accept recommendations from the Pharmaceutical Benefits Advisory Committee. Now, in its statement, the Department of Health said it will not hesitate to list Trikafta once the company has agreed to the terms. Vertex says that it's continuing to progress the discussions as quickly as it can, but there's still considerable work to do with the stakeholders. The company pointing out to us that there are 25 countries around the world with the drug subsidised and added that Australian patients deserve the same. Regardless of other position, both need to take some action fast. Incredible cost. Crazy. Thanks for your company this evening. From the team here at 7 News, that is the latest. I'm Michael Usher. Have a great night.